Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy, friends, and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. It's about uh, mm, 7 o'clock in the morning. The rooster has been busily crowing for a good solid two hours already. So, you know, I'm, I'm developing a craving for chicken and dumplings right about now. <laughs> anyway, we've made it through the Christmas holidays, and I would like to mention the millions and millions of people around the world who believe in Santa Claus because, of course, I am one of those people. And it got me thinking about all the things that people believe in. You've got people who believe in angels. They believe in aliens. People believe in Bigfoot. People believe in politicians. The list goes on and on. The things that people believe. Completely certain that Oh, yes, absolutely, ghosts exist, and so on. And I'm not here to question anyone's beliefs about things they've never seen, which they know to be true. That is for my other podcast, which I haven't done. But I want to talk about one 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 of these entities, which it seems like, most of the people I hang around with do not believe in this this entity, the the lowly gnome. The gnome. The gnome that I had the nerve to call, and I, I'm going to quote directly from my book, Mandolin Training Camp, on, let's see, what page is it on here? I'm going to be flipping around in these books a good bit this morning. I believe it is on, yes, page 20, where I actually have a little drawing of his little gnome house. And I was so bold (laughs) as to call him a dastardly little gnome. And I said, uh, the gnome is an unfeeling, uncaring, unsensitive jerk which doesn't care if you even exist. And I think I've insulted the the gnome, but I do believe in gnomes. There's a lot of things I don't believe in, but I do believe in gnomes because how else can I explain that every hard drive I have ever owned, except for the two current ones that I'm presently now enjoying the use of, Every other hard drive going back all the way to the early 1980s, mid-80s, was destroyed by a gnome. Sneaking in there at night with his little miniature pickaxe and chopping away at the, at the uh, substrate. Or clipping little wires or, or just pouring goo on it. I don't, I don't know how they work, but I do know they do work because... I have the evidence. I have a drawer full of old dead hard drives that I've pulled out of old computers. You know, when I, when I donate the computer to Goodwill, I yank the hard drive out and I just throw it in a box because I don't want somebody somehow resurrecting that drive and finding my tax return from 1981 or something or, or that Bitcoin account wallet that I started up back, uh, I think I had 50 cents worth of Bitcoin on a hard drive somewhere. This is when Bitcoin first came out, and it didn't take me long to realize that Bitcoin was kind of a scam. So I, I even put on my website at one time for a very short period of time, it was maybe three days that I accepted Bitcoin. And I've realized that that is as fiat as, as any other currently functioning monetary uh, instrument. Anyway, so the gnome, he also hides my keys. 
occasionally messes around under the hood of my car and moves objects, especially tools. You know, all I have to do is lay down a screwdriver, walk out of the shop and come back and the gnome has moved it. This happens all the time. Uh, they love to hide socks. Um, there's a gnome in this house that hides Jackson's shoes. He'll only hide one of them. <laughs> Strange. But, but see, I believe in gnomes. And I talked about the gnome in at least two of my books, and I have mentioned him muttering his name under my breath in probably quite a few of these episodes. And of course, when I'm speaking of the gnome in a bluegrass or a musical sense, I'm talking about the metro gnome. He lives in that little house, that little box that clicks. The one, I, I've become so cynical after attempting to teach people things uh, for such a long time. And I'll say, now, practice that with the metronome. And at this point, I'm just to the point where I'm like, I know you're not going to. Or you might for a few minutes until it frustrates you the slightest bit, and then you'll quit. So I've actually had a few students over the years that they would buy this very elaborate Dr. Beat metronome with lights, and you can set it into 5-4 time and all these different sounds and all this weird stuff, and they bring it in and they say, look what I got. I'm, I took your advice. I'm, I've got me a metronome. I'm like, as long as you use it. <laughs> but usually, you know, they don't. And I've been guilty of that. I, I have, but I can say this, that when I work with a metronome on a regular basis, my playing inevitably improves. I'm convinced of that. It's very easy to fool yourself. It, it, I think back to my magic days and learning sleight of hand and every magic book I ever had said, now, when you practice this, let's say I'm going to vanish a coin or a billiard ball or something. Every single magic book always said, practice in front of a mirror. You know, see it from the audience's perspective. Do the move, you know, make the move, do the French drop or whatever it is you're doing. Vanish the coin and look in the mirror. Watch yourself in the mirror. And when I was a kid, I noticed that I would be watching myself in a mirror about to vanish the coin, <laughs> holding, you know, a half dollar in my right hand and coming towards it with my left. And I'm watching the mirror. And just as I do the drop, I noticed I would blink. I saw it in the mirror. My eyes would shut just for an instant. I was actually blocking out the ability to see any mistakes. And so then I, when I noticed it, I would just stare and deliberately not blink. So I watch everything. It, it's almost like the Zapruder film for any conspiracy theorist who thinks that perhaps a couple of frames have been deleted. You know, that's like blinking when the, when the action takes place. Um, you can do that yourself. You can begin to overlook your own flaws. I'm sure everyone does because we all have flaws. You know, there, there are people who walk by a mirror in the mall, you know, they have one of those big mirrored columns and, they look over their shoulder and they're kind of checking, checking themselves out like, hey, <laughs> I look pretty good today. And they walk on. And there's other people that look right through that mirror. They don't want to see themselves. They don't want to see their own image because it reveals the flaws. You know, it's, it's probably a good personal exercise as long as you don't take it to extremes. I'm not in favor of narcissism, 
Okay, let's get that out of the way right from the beginning. But I think it's a good exercise periodically to stand in front of a mirror and just look at that person in the mirror and do it for a few minutes. Take a good hard look at yourself. Look at everything. Look at the flaws, the gray hairs, the, uh, the worry lines, the whatever. Don't be too hard on yourself, but just have a good look. Look at the reality. And that's what using a metronome does. That metronome, it doesn't care. It's just clicking. Clicking, tick-tocking, beeping, whatever. It just does its thing. It doesn't care what you do. And like, I've, like I said in my book, I've played with musicians like that. <laughs> anyway, do you know what a train wreck is? Not many people have you know, been in train wrecks. Occasionally Amtrak due to poor maintenance and um, you know, being basically a government-run operation. Occasionally we do have Amtrak trains that uh, uh, run off and you know, cars rolling over and people climbing out the windows and stuff. But train wrecks used to be more common, so it was a good uh, metaphor for um, a musical phenomenon, which... I have encountered quite a few train wrecks in my picking career, shall we say. Had one uh, not too long ago at an unspecified location. The group is playing along. Just, just everybody is just into it, and we're playing along into the song. And it just all falls apart. The wheels just come off. And... Only one by one players within the group begin to notice like uh, we have a flat tire. The steering wheel just came off. There's flames coming out from under the hood. You know, if you're driving, that sort of thing. So we have about six people playing, just merrily playing along. One player just completely stops and is just looking around. Then another, those people sensed the wheel about to come off or the wheel is off. You know, when you get past, <laughs> you're driving down the road and you see one of your wheels pass you, merrily rolling along the road. Like, that looks a lot like my left rear wheel just past me uh get prepared grip that steering wheel real tight because you're about to go in a ditch that was the feeling we had but it was interesting that some of the players did not notice at all what they noticed were several of the other people who did notice dropping out they were just going and this is the cause of the problem. The ones who didn't notice the wheels coming off, the, the train wreck about to happen, the ones who didn't notice caused it. Because they're not listening. They're, they're not listening to everything. They, I'm not saying they're not listening at all. I'm saying that they're they're listening to certain selected elements of the group, like I'm really focused on the bass player, you know, or I'm listening to what I'm doing, or I'm thinking about singing the words and I'm sort of on autopilot and I'm just hoping everybody stays with me. That's what happens. And when someone fails to listen and fails to, fails to try to stay in time, they get out of time. Well, then you've got, you know, a third party is hearing two versions. Who am I going with? What's going on here? There's something going on here. But they're not aware of it yet. And it can be, 
you know, a, a falling off of parts. You know, first one lug nut gets loose, then another, then another, then the wheel starts to wobble. And then it just, in, in a tragic calamity, the wheel just pops off and rolls and passes you on the road as you skid to a halt. It's no fun. That is no fun. No fun for anybody. Even if you're one of those players who don't even notice such things. You know, you could be in the middle of a rhythmic train wreck and you don't know it. Hey, I wish I was you. I do. I would be happier. You know, there's a lot of things you'd be happier if you just didn't know. You didn't notice. You know, like, I wish I could just go to the mall and maybe go to a shoe store and look at shoes. But I'm just not that kind of guy. I, I, what a colossal waste of time. But I, I kind of wish I was one of those people sometimes. It's very freeing to uh, not, not, not really care too much. Or, or just not have some sort of sensory perception. You know, it's like when you hear a, an odd sound. You're, you're hearing a little annoying sound, you know, and it, and it's starting to grate on you, but you look around the room and nobody else is noticing it. You know, there's freedom in that, but if you want to play good music, rhythm is of the utmost importance. And since bluegrass is an ensemble form of music, it therefore is of the utmost importance that all of the members of the ensemble play together in good rhythm and with good timing. I've preached this till I'm blue in the face, and I don't, I am not preaching for my high horse as if I've never made a rhythmic error in my life. Lord knows I have. And I hear them, or I'm or they're pointed out to me, you know, I've, I've probably been the cause of a train wreck or two. I have maliciously a, a couple of times, you know, attempted to push or pull or just mess with people a little bit. You know, if you got a dragon bass player and you're the mandolin player, sometimes you can whip that mule a little bit by getting a little ahead of the beat and kind of dragging him in line. You know what I mean? I have done that a few times, not in my early days. In my early days, I was, I was like every other beginner, just, you know, running along. I, I was certainly not the lead dog in the pack, but I was just, you know, snapped in there with all the rest of the Huskies, just, you know, running along, trying to maintain the same pace. That's how most beginners play. But imagine, you know, that, that train of sled dogs, I don't know how many you got, 14 dogs or something. And one of them is getting kind of old and he's, he's running out of steam and he suddenly just keels over and dies. And the other 13 dogs will just keep on dragging that dog or there's going to be a big old pile up. <laughs> you know, this is not a pretty sight in a bluegrass ensemble. You know, the great bluegrass bands, They've got that clicking machine. Go back and listen to The Great Wheel. I think that was the name of it. But I want to talk today about the metronome just once again so that I can say, well, I told you so. If you want to get better, if you want to improve your timing, stop avoiding the use of a metronome. I, I've done it. I've pulled the metronome out, particularly recently. Uh, it's very uh, familiar to me because it's. I recently I, I've said I'm practicing the fiddle a lot. I get so tired of hearing me play the fiddle so badly that I thought, well, wise guy, you know how to fix this. It's called practice and practice correctly. So I'm trying to do that. And so I play. And I'm playing my little tune, real slow, trying to get everything just right, tune the notes, work on my tone, work on my bowing. It's awful. But I sometimes I get to thinking, wow, that sounds pretty good. You know, that actually wasn't too bad. 
you know. But I wasn't playing with the metronome. Then I remind myself, get the metronome out, put it on. Let's see what speed you're going. Let's see. Let's see how this really, let's measure this thing. Click, 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 and I start. And all of a sudden, it's a lot more difficult. Well, I was blinking in the mirror. I was not. I don't have a time reference. So a little millisecond here and a little millisecond there. Eh, who cares, right? And you delude yourself into thinking that you're doing fairly well. And what I'm saying is if you want to play solo your whole life, do whatever you want to. Or if you don't ever want anybody dancing or singing along or clap, you know, playing with you or whatever, do whatever you want to. I used to know this guy. I say I used to know him. I still know him, but I just haven't seen him in 15 years. Uh, it was a wonderful guitar player, finger style, just, just knew all these songs. And he was kind of on this Mexican restaurant circuit where, you know, playing for hundred bucks in tips, uh, you know, every weekend you call out a request, you know, Dan Fogelberg tune. He knew it. James Taylor. He knew it. Eagles. He knew it. Crosby, Stills, and Nash. He knows it. You know. And the stuff sounded great. He was such a good guitar player. Well, one time we needed a guitar player filling in for our guitar player who was going to be absent. We asked him to fill in. He wasn't so great. He never played, he hardly ever played with other people. And his timing was just all over the map. When you play by yourself, you listen to yourself, and you become your own time reference. It's not based in the reality of how time actually works. It's, it's a form of self-delusion. Now, it can be very pleasant. I think the classical term is rubato, where the time is sort of flexible, and you can space things out here and speed them up a little bit there. And, and so I'm not saying that's not a musical um, technique. But what I am saying is it doesn't work well in a bluegrass band unless the whole band does it in synchronization together. You know, where there are places that you can retard and accelerando, but you do it together. The metronome doesn't do any of that. It simply clicks at a specified rate until you turn it off or smash it with a sledgehammer. That's all it does. And it keeps you honest. You know, I, I think how many teenagers at their part-time job back in the back room at tractor supply assembling wheelbarrows and let's say they get off they came in at four and they get off at eight if you took away all the clocks and watches and any timekeeping device about what time do you think that high school wheelbarrow assembly person would estimate that it's probably quitting time. My guess is about 7.15. At about 7.15, with no time reference, that kid's going to go, man, it's surely quitting time. It's, it's got to be close to 8 o'clock. And then they walk over to the time clock and they pull their time card out. Of course, that's not how they do it today. And they look at the clock, it's only 7.15. I still got 45 minutes to go. What I'm saying is people's time estimation is variable. It's like our dog. I'm convinced that dogs do not have a great sense of time in longer time spans. They have immaculate timing abilities on a micro level. Otherwise, there's no way you could throw a tennis ball and have the dog 
predictably catch the tennis ball. That requires great timing, but it's on a very micro scale, you know. If they're a half a second late leaping for the Frisbee, they're going to miss it. Or if they're a tenth of a second late, they're going to miss it. Or they're going to jump and it's going to fly over their back. They've got really good timing on a small, precise scale. But they don't have good timing at all on a, on a longer scale like hours. I think my dog doesn't know one hour from ten hours. Because I can go out and feed the dog. And just like Pavlov's hounds, as I'm rattling the bag and putting the dog food in the bowl, the dog is just standing there and literally drooling. Feed the dog. Go back in the house. Remember that I need a monkey ranch or something. I walk back out to the barn. Maybe a half an hour later hour later, the dog perks up and trots out there with me and stands at the bowl salivating like it's going to get fed again. I'm like, no, I already fed you. The dog literally can't remember that it ate an hour ago. So time, if, if you just rely on your own brain for all your timing judgments, it's so highly variable and highly subjective. The metronome is not. It doesn't lie. I think what I'll do now is read to you a little story out of a, a book. I may have read this before. And forgive me if, you know, I, I have to tell you, it's getting very difficult to remember what goofy stories I've told you, what advice. I can't even remember what topics I have covered. I actually... I was going to talk about metronomes today, and am, and I couldn't remember whether or not I have done an episode about metronomes before. I literally had to pull up my own website, scan through the titles of 150 episodes. Oh, well, no, I guess I haven't. Maybe, you know, what happens is you think about doing something, and then you actually do it, and they kind of get blurred in your brain. After a while, you're kind of like, well, I think I, I, I don't know. So I have to go look at the list. And the list didn't lie. It tells me what episodes I have done and what I haven't done. But I can't remember them all. And you can't either. And that's why I get a pass on this one. If I have read this to you before, it only means that you probably need to hear it again. I think it's so important. So I'm in my book, Madeline Training Camp. And if you have, if you are one of the purchasers and readers of my mandolin exercise program called Madeline Training Camp, subtitled Improve Your Solos and Increase Speed and Accuracy by Training the Hands and Mind, by Brad Laird. If you have that, I'm sure you've read this. But how many of us get a book and read the book over and over and over and over every day? Read that section again. Very few of us. So if you have this book, I'll bet you read it. And you might have went, yeah, boy, that, that makes a lot of sense there. And then you went on and you probably haven't read it again. And so I may have read this on the podcast before. If so, it's always good to hear it again. Because I think that this is very, very important. If you want to improve, if you want to sound good, and if you want to easily and comfortably fit in with other musicians. Especially if you can convince them to do likewise. And I hope that you can by setting an example. So let me just read to you. This is page 17. The first third of this book is, is it's, it's a written version of these podcasts, you might say. It's just me talking, you know. So many instructional books just get right to the meat of it. Just flip open page one and it's notes, notes, notes. Not mine. 
It's talk, 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 because the concepts are more important than the notes. Surely you've figured that out by now. All right, quit beating around the bush, Brad. Get to it. Page 17, I'm going to read you what I wrote in here, and this section is called A Fortunate Series of Events. I'm going to put on my reader voice, my, like, you know, uh, (laughs) the downloadable audio version voice. Contemplate this miraculous chain of events. When your pick contacts the string, it flexes slightly from the impact, begins to push the string out of its way, and a millisecond later, snaps to the other side of the string. You have set in motion a complex series of events that would confound even the most illustrious physicists. Your pick causes the string to begin a set of vibrations that race through the bridge, soundboard, and body of the mandolin, or any other instrument, acoustic instrument, And, unless you play in an airless vacuum, the air around the mandolin is sympathetically set in motion in a set of waves that radiate outwards, ultimately coaxing eardrums to wiggle and tickle some tiny nerve endings. This tickling induces nerve impulses which bolt toward the listener's brain and the electrochemical reactions start in an endlessly complex way. And the owner of that brain would just simply swear that they just heard some fool picking on a dad burn mandolin. This entire series of events happens extremely quickly. It does take a measurable amount of time to get all these actions accomplished. But, for practical purposes, it happens so fast that it is almost like your pick is directly connected to the brain of the listener. With that pick, you can stimulate the listener's brain. You can stir it, blur it, poke it, stroke it, tickle it, amuse it, confuse it, abuse it, and tease it. It's all in your power. You don't really play the mandolin. You play the listener's mind. And then I put in parentheses. That statement is the most important in this book. Close parentheses. And I stand by that. It is. That train wreck I was describing would not occur if it were not for this phenomenon. Certain players and certain combinations of players at that moment of the train wreck were confusing it and abusing it. They were Their vibrations were confusing the brain of the listener who was one of the fellow players. Now, mind you, I'm not talking about hearing. There were plenty of people in the room who weren't playing during the train wreck who heard it and didn't even notice it because they weren't listening. They were hearing it, but not listening. That's what caused the train wreck in the circle of musicians. There were musicians hearing the song, but they weren't listening to the song. Okay. Now I shall continue next paragraph from a fortunate series of events. This complex timing, um, pardon me, the complex timing of this entire sequence is probably more difficult to understand than where babies come from or how to drive a VW bus to Mars. But luckily we don't have to worry much about precisely what is happening. We just need to know that it happens. And when notes happen is of utmost importance for successful and positive manipulation of the listener's brain. 
And when I say the listener's brain, I'm also referring to your fellow musician's brain. Okay, turn the page here. I liked when my books were actual paper. You know, they're all digital downloads now, but I like I like holding paper in my hand. You know, you can put it on the back of the toilet and, you know, read it on a daily basis. You wouldn't want to do that with your tablet. You might drop the thing in the toilet. And the final paragraph of that section, which is on page 18, let me put the point in plain school book language. Music is as much about when things happen as it is about what happens. Ask any drummer. He can beat on a trash can or a snare drum and still make music. You can beat on a tater bug or a lore and still make music. But no matter what you do, if you don't beat on it with good timing, good music will fail to emerge. Uh, this is all so true. So true. And that's why I think it's worth repeating. And you know what I'm saying. You know what the undercurrent of all this is. You've got a metronome. Use it. That will train you because the metronome will not lie. It will point out your flaws, your faults, your gray hairs, and your wrinkles. You're not going to be able to get away with playing with sloppy timing if you intend to stay with that dead gum clicking. Okay? It's not wrong. You're wrong. Okay? That's the basic idea. I'm not going to, in this episode, um, explain a lot about, you know, how to use a metronome and, you know, what speed should I start? Should I play two notes per click or four notes per click and all? All that is explained in in my books. And if you don't have a metronome, well, everybody says, oh, I got a metronome app. Okay. The only tip that I will give you, because I think it is of critical importance, is this is this is the one tip for this episode about the actual use of a metronome aside from please do use a metronome at home when you're practicing don't ever take one to a gig please don't be the guy who brings a metronome if this is for your personal development you know the one suggestion that I will give you is if the metronome also, in addition to having sound output, if it has any sort of visual display, even a simple blinking red LED, or if it has a little display with a little swinging needle going back and forth like the Dr. Beat, or if there are any visual cues at all being produced by the metronome, don't look at them. Ever cover them up, turn it upside down, put black tape over it. Do not look at the metronome. The only purpose for the light on the metronome, by the way, the the little I have three or four metronomes around here. I've got one of those little electronic pocket ones. You just have a dial and you dial in the speed, and you if you move the switch down, the light flashes. No sound, just the light. And if you move it up, the light and the click happens. You know what those are for, right? It's, it's for a conductor. He wants to get the tempo in his mind before he starts the piece. My band director used to do similar things. Uh, you know, this, this piece, we should begin at 112. So he would set his metronome at 112 and silently follow along with the light and get 112 in his head and then put it in his pocket and start. It's a way to silently remind yourself of a precise tempo, but it is very, very bad to visually try to follow a metronome 
when what you're producing is sound and what it's producing is light. And there's no guarantee that the light signal and the sound signal from the metronome are in sync. They are, surely they are, when they leave the device. Nobody's going to build a metronome that, you know, the light doesn't click accurately in time with the, the clicking of the little speaker. No, they build them where they, they are in sync. And so you think, well, you know, I, they're together. What's the problem? The problem is on your end in the brain, set aside the fact that sound waves travel much slower than light waves. So the light wave is going to hit you before the sound wave does. But, you know. You'd have to get at um, astronomical distances for that to matter much. Well, at least you'd have to put the thing, you know, 50 feet away from you to really slow down the, make the sound wave arrive slow enough to be a problem. You know, if it's sitting three feet from you, there's probably not enough difference there. So I'm not talking about the difference between the speed of sound and the speed of light. What I'm talking about is the speed of processing. And I don't know, but I, you know, the pathway from audio from the eardrum through the inner ear and the cochlea and the, the auditory nerve to the brain to be processed and made sense of, or at least be sensed is a different pathway than light reception to the retina, to the optic nerve, to the, et cetera, et cetera. There are different parts of the brain. So there's no guarantee that those two processes are going to be in sync. And I've seen my own students, I've seen myself, uh, focusing on the blinking light. Just I just keep looking at it. While I'm playing, I'm looking at the, the blinking light. And I believe that metronomes are much more effective if you only listen to them, put them out of sight. Put it behind you. Turn it upside down. Don't look at the metronome. Just listen. Because one of the great features of a metronome, obviously, everyone knows that the main feature is that it clicks at a specified rate that doesn't change and it doesn't alter to suit you. You have to alter to suit it, and therefore that's bringing you closer to accurate timing. We all know that. That's the main purpose. But it, there's a secondary purpose, sort of a sub-purpose, that is just as important. And that is, for you to play along with the metronome, you must listen to the metronome. So it trains you to listen outside of your little sphere, your banjo, your dobro, your guitar, whatever you're doing. That's where most people mess up playing with a metronome. They fail to listen to the metronome. It's clicking away. And what they do is they notice the metronome. They notice that they're out of sync with the metronome. And that's frustrating. Well, the reason they notice is because their listening turned back on. It turned off, and that's how they got out of sync. And then they turned their listening back on, and they noticed that they are out of sync. If you can maintain constant listening, constant sensing of that clicking, you're a lot more likely to never fall out of sync with it. Okay? And by the way, last tip on using metronomes. If you're falling out of sync with the metronome a lot, Maybe you need to turn it up because maybe the sound of your banjo is drowning the thing out. That's why I have to say I do love my metronome audio tracks, which come with a lot of my packages and which you can purchase individually if you wanted to. Nobody does, but you know, but you could. What I like about them is their MP3 tracks and you can crank them. You know, you can, you can put them on headphones. You can put them on your home stereo. You can pump them into a hundred watt. Marshall amp. Do whatever you want to. Make the thing loud enough so that you notice it. Because it's really easy, easy to get sidetracked picking and playing and thinking about your notes and where you're putting your fingers and what pick direction you're supposed to be going and and you've lost track of the metronome. 
And then when you refocus on it, you're out. That's what caused that train wreck just last week. That sort of thing. So, number one, get it. Hey, somebody's texting me. We'll come back and take a look at that later. Oh, the gig has been canceled. Let me turn this sound off on this thing. That's the one thing I forgot to do before I started here. At least when the when the thing beeps, at least it makes me feel important or wanted or something. Somebody wanted to tell me something. All right. Now, where was I? Oh, yeah. Turn it up. At least turn it up so that you don't lose track of it. Uh, if it's too soft, uh, you know, it can get lost down there in the mix. Um, don't look at it. And, and, I just remembered my final point on the use of a metronome. If you find yourself getting out of sync with it a lot, and you will, if, if you don't ever notice that you're ever out of sync with it, hmm, I don't know any musician that finds this just incredibly easy. <laughs> I don't. We all have, it's a constant thing. It's, it's not like, oh, now my timing is perfect and I don't ever need to use a metronome again. I mean, there are people with good timing, but even they vary. Anybody who denies that is a liar. I can listen to Tony Rice records and hear them going all over the place. But let's just call it rubato as a group, you know. Now, I don't even know if they know it. Because that's a natural thing in music for the tempos to alter and change. I mean, that is natural. But do it together. Stay together. They are listening to each other or sensing each other. So I'm not really talking about, you know, when I say getting out of sync with the metronome, I don't necessarily mean, oh, you know, the speed is drifting because the metronome is not going to drift. If you get out of sync with it, it means you drifted. And so the better that you can not drift, the more drifting becomes something under your control rather than something out of your control. But if, you're, if you find you are being late or early, or just, if it's frustrating, you're probably going too fast. Because if you slow the thing down, maybe you can play in time with it. Maybe it's just, you know, your internal brain processing is just not able to process everything that's going on. You're thinking about way too much. And then you're putting on that layer of you're also trying to think about staying with that dadgum man, uh, metronome. <laughs> dadgum mantle. The metronome. So there's a lot going on. Slow it down, relax, and just try to play, get to the point where you can play without so much thinking. You know, or at least have a little more time to think, you know? Slow down. That's all I'm saying. Don't look at the lights or any visual display. Turn it up where you can hear it good and slow down if you need to. Maybe speed up, too, if you need to. All right. Back to the book. I'm going to read you one last little thing here. This is the uh, the the uh, section I, I think I've read before, and I, I just read a bit of it a minute ago. The, the metronome. The metronome. And I've got a, a little drawing of, a, of an old-fashioned metronome, and it looks like a little house. It's got a little mailbox beside it. If you, if you look at the show graphic for this episode... That's what I'm going to use on there. A little cartoon of a, like a gnome lives inside there. And I'm describing the gnome. And I say, the initial phases of working with a metronome are frustrating, but you will get better at it. And eventually you can give the metronome to someone else who could use it. Eventually. Like after 50 years of dueling with it. I think of the metronome as a little house occupied by a dastardly little gnome. The gnome is an unfeeling, uncaring, unsensitive jerk. I actually think I should have said insensitive, but I was sort of on the un, un, un thing. Unsensitive jerk who doesn't care if you even exist. I've played with some musicians who are like that too. So don't feel bad if you swear at the cursed thing. 
The gnome doesn't care. If he notices you at all, he will be amused by your suffering. Later, as you progress in your ability to stay with that dang clicking, you might even find that you and the gnome have become more friendly. If you beat the gnome at his game, he will leave you alone. And when you think you have gotten all of the use that you can from the gnome, you can take a sledgehammer to the thing. Y'all have a great week. I'm going to go out uh, the little outro. Well, I'll just uh, surprise you with the little outro here. Y'all have a great week. Talk to you in the next episode. Hello, human beings. I am the gnome. I am the actual gnome who lives in that little box, the one which Brad put in his book. You know the one, the one where he called me an insensitive, dastardly little jerk or something. Thanks a lot, Brad. But despite my dislike for that guy, I do recommend that you follow his advice and in particular, consider using his wonderful collection of 24 MP3 metronome audio tracks. If you use them, I won't have to suffer anymore listening to you play the banjo outside my door. Everyone have a good day. If you're nice to me, I might tell you where I put your keys. Hi, my name's Barney, and I'm a troll. Those two idiots forgot to tell you where to get those metronome tracks. All you have to do is go to bradleylair.com and stroll around, and you'll probably find them. Or, to make it simpler, go to payhip.com slash bradleylaird. And you'll find them there. It's tough being a troll.